0: All these books? i I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Hello and welcome to TFM's Books and Comics Show, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and so excited to have with me once again the one and only the indomitable Bruce Gibson. Hey everybody, how's it going? <laughs> I think I heard them say it's going okay.
1: <laughs> it's going okay i'm so glad everybody's doing great okay and if you're not you will be feeling okay after listening to us tonight it's true or to- or this morning or this afternoon whatever this, it is for yeah this whatever moment.
0: it is time you're listening as, as riley blanton would say so um but exactly. yeah we're excited to be back um we've got some uh news to cover for you we've got a uh year five issue to cover which is exciting uh and then uh we're going to be diving into uh Bruce and I thought it would be fun to cover a series that we have not covered yet, which is the Lost Years series. Um, And a pretty, I would say, substantial book, you know, uh, because of just what it was, which was trying to fill in those gaps. So we'll talk about that when we get there. But, of course, make sure before uh, we do anything Make sure you subscribe to us and following us and liking us everywhere uh, subscribe to us on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your uh, podcasts, review the show on Apple podcasts, help people know what you think of the show. So they keep finding it. Uh, of course you can also find us on Twitter at Trek FM or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. We've got the listeners in the discussion group, the Babel conference you can join, which is a great place to go. Uh, if you want to talk to listeners from all over the world, of course, Online at track.fm, you can go to the contact section and send Bruce and I an email if you'd like. We'd also like to say a huge thank you to our associate producers through Patreon. Um, we really appreciate the fact um, that we've got Greg Rosier and Casey Petit supporting the network here and the show. Um, and of course, uh, if you like what we're doing here on TFM, make sure you go to patreon.com slash track.fm and see how you can be part of the team. Every little bit helps. Uh, But we've got some great contribution levels that you can give at. uh, And honestly, quick tidbit, it's going to be much more effective uh, for you. And you're going to get a lot more for your money when it comes to being a Patreon subscriber. Because we've got a lot of stuff that's going to be going behind the paywall. Uh, So if you like what we're doing here, uh, make sure that you're, you're supporting us on Patreon so you can get behind that paywall. So... Uh, Bruce, uh, we are at issue 20 for year 5, which I thought was fascinating uh, as we're in the news now. uh, Because this has something to do with what we're going to talk about a little bit with the lost years, in in the sense of uh, we go to Vulcan in this episode because there is a tower that shouldn't be there, but is there, but shouldn't be there. And Spock gets transported back in time to the Vulcan revolution uh, of logic. And so I'm really fascinated with this because what did you think of this issue?
1: I really like this issue because at first when they go to Vulcan and there's that tower and Spock gets transported to the past, I was just like, okay, we'll see how this plays out. And I like that it did not meet mine or Spock's expectations as to what he would find in Vulcan's past, that the stories that have been passed from generation to generation about Surak and, and that period of time aren't necessarily the way he's expecting them. The stories have changed some. Things don't play out exactly as Vulcan history has shown. And of course, if you go back into any of our histories and any of our countries or in this world, we'll probably find out that things aren't exactly how they are represented today. And I I thought that was a good spin.
0: Yeah, I I think it's interesting that the thing that you pointed out um, is, I think, a strength, but also, I think, a terrible weakness for me for this issue because I'm tired of revisionist history. Personally, I'm tired of this thought process that, you know, we have to go back all the time and, and um, you know, things that have to get changed around or, you know, and I think anybody with any sort of brain in their heads knows that, you know, things probably didn't happen exactly like you read in a specific history book. Right. Um, but to kind of go back here and see that spock would be diametrically opposed to surak was i think a bridge too far for me and um and and i i say that because and i'm really torn by the issue because there's a part of it which is interesting because you know look logic can be used to logic your way into thinking anything right uh, that's the problem with logic is, is their sole foundation for everything is that logic is a terrible tool. Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have any other guiding factors to it. There's no virtue or anything that goes along with it. Um, cold hard logic is cold hard logic and we kind of see that uh, with the way that they portray Surak here. So I'm really hoping there's something else going on beyond just that thought process that Surak was maybe not because the problem that I run into this, if there isn't something else that it really flies in the face of everything we know about Vulcans and, you know, Surak himself um, and from all of Star Trek, right? Like not just the original series, but like, enterprise and i mean like every single part of star trek uh, you know surak is 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 known as somebody who's pretty fantastic right and so to come into this comic and then try and and maybe in two issues or maybe three who knows um kind of say that isn't the case i have a real problem with that kind of revisionist history
1: i think one of the problems what we have is we're not seeing the whole story to your point Yeah, this is the first issue of maybe two or three of the story. So I don't know how that's going to play out. Right? It almost feels, and this is towards the end of this issue, where we really see Spock. uh, He does the Vulcan nerve pinch to Surak to take him out because he's against what Surak is doing. What I hope doesn't happen, to your point, is that we find out that Surak actually learns from Spock. And Spock is really the one who creates the philosophy of surak and then you have that whole thing where it's like well wait who who created this and didn't, didn't spock learn from surak but surak learns from spock <laughs> you know
0: no i i think you're absolutely right um if something like that is what happens here i i oh i will be really disappointed um so It'll be interesting to see if there is not something else that's going on here. Like, there's some sort of, like, time tampering in the first place. You know, like, somebody is is trying to mess with the time-space continuum and, and, you know, change Vulcans from what we've known them to be to what they kind of want them to be. So, that would be much more uh, appreciative for me as a fan and just, uh, you know, reading this comic. Otherwise... Yeah, well, I would be really disappointed if we get the whole thing where, no, really it's Spock, you know, so it should really be the philosophy of Spock, not the philosophy of Surak, which was the character who was in, you know, basically just influenced by himself. <laughs> you know, so I <laughs> Right. Yeah, that that's well, a bri- that's another bridge too far.
1: There there's a possibility that Surak's gonna learn from his mistakes, and that's what we're seeing here. And Spock is just there to witness it and is guiding him, but he would have gotten there eventually anyway mm-hmm. without Spock because that's what would have happened in the original history. Or, to your point, if someone is involved in this and is creating this alternate history and Spock is seeing a different history than what really took place, right. there's a common thread through all these issues, and that's Gary Seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Gary Seven go. has yep. something against the Federation. Mm-hmm. And so there might be something in here that Gary seven is involved and changed history or put this device on Vulcan that sends yep. Spock back yep. to have some kind of
0: influence. Right. Exactly. No, I think you're a hundred percent right. And, and that's kind of what I was saying, it, you know, with the whole process of how difficult this is when, you know, we don't have the whole story yet. And so, um, You know, I'll be really interested to see where this goes because, like I said, right now as it's sitting, it it doesn't sit right for me. You know, and I'm hoping that that unease is because of exactly what you said—that we're going to maybe finally get the payoff for, uh, you know, what Gary Seven and ISIS have been doing, uh, you know, to the timeline. And so, because that would be really cool to to kind of have this whole five-year mission thing wrap up with a big, you know, time battle with Gary
1: Seven. Yes. Without Q getting involved. Exactly. <laughs> I, no, we've
0: got enough <laughs> Q coming in per card. We don't need more Q. So. Um but no, I'm excited to see where the, the rest of this goes. So um I it is definitely, I think, a controversial issue in the sense that it really kind of like what you know um and it it does leave you wanting to read the other issues so you know if that's what they're going for which i'm sure they are well done
1: (laughs) yes and absolutely you know we always have to comment on the art i did enjoy the art of this the characters like they like they do as the actors on the tv series I thought the art was really sharp in this. Yeah,
0: me too. Uh, I thought that this was a good-looking issue all around. So, and especially since we're exploring Vulcan, uh, which you know we haven't really seen too much of on screen. We, a little bit in Enterprise, and of course some in the JJ universe. So it's always kind of nice to see Vulcan, and of course you know seeing Vulcan uh, in the past is is really interesting. So. But uh, Bruce, I guess maybe uh, it's time for us to dive into the feature and we can talk about some lost years. Yeah, maybe go back to Vulcan's past. Yeah, possibly. So Bruce, I'm really interested because I feel like this is a book that you have probably read before.
1: Oh my, yes I have. <laughs> this is something I've been waiting to mention here on the show. So... Without going too far into this, this book came out in the summer of 1990. And at this point, I was really, my Star Trek fandom was, had been growing the last few years coming up to that period of time. And I went into a bookstore in the mall. Yes, they used to have bookstores in the mall. Wasn't and that on crazy? Was,
0: like, I miss Walden I know.
1: Books in the mall, right? Yeah. And I think it was a Walden Books, actually. And they had a display at the front and I miss this, too, seeing Star Trek novels in the front as soon as you walk in. And there was a hardcover, several hardcovers of The Lost Years. And I thought, that would be really interesting to read. I've never read a Star Trek novel. I'd like to read it. And I thought, oh, but you know what? Years ago, I bought one called Enterprise, Their First Mission. And I haven't read, or the first adventure. I haven't read that one. And I'm like, I always get novels and I never finish reading them. I start them and never finish. And I just graduated college. I'm like, you know what? I've got time. I haven't started a job. I'm going to buy this novel, but I'm going to read the first one. Their first adventure. I'll read that first. And then I'll read the last year. So I'm re- reading the beginning of the five-year mission and the end of the five-year mission. So this was technically the second Star Trek novel I read, but this was the one that made me want to read star trek novels and i haven't stopped ever since
0: man that's so cool um and it's funny because i was just looking at you know uh, star trek books the other day and thinking about books we haven't covered and i was like man the first adventure i don't think we've ever covered that one here on the show so i just there's so many of these that we you know we haven't gotten a chance to get to because there are so many star trek books but this might shock you. I've never read this book. Like I've seen it like at the library. I remember as a kid, you know, I used to see it at book sales. Of course I would see it. I I'm also a a huge fan of the fact that we used to have bookstores and malls uh, that weren't like Barnes and Noble. And you know, that's what got me into star Wars books because I saw, you know, uh, Timothy Zahn's heir to the empire in the window. I'm like, I have to read that, you know? And, um, You know, once I was a kid and uh, when I was a kid and got into Star Trek and Star Wars, you know, used to get the books at the library and stuff. So this is just one that I had never read, but was always fascinated by because of the idea of, you know, kind of filling in the gaps of the five year mission to, of course, the motion picture. And to me, that's a really interesting time period because there is so much that happens and there's so much about these characters lives that seems to change from where we were in the, you know, the five-year mission. And so on that, I kind of wanted to uh, probe a little bit with you and, and see, you know, that's really the whole impetus for this book, which is to fill in the gaps. And so as that being the main thrust of this book, how do you feel it does with that mandate?
1: Wow, that's a really good question. Because I was thinking about this before we started recording. Because honestly, when I started reading this book, I was surprised with how much I didn't remember. Because remember, it's been like over thirty years since I read this book. I haven't read it since the first time I read it until now. Some of our readers, right there, our listeners. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I remember back in the day before you were born, there was a Star Trek novel, and that's my old man voice i guess this is too but
0: so we both have old men voices what are you talking about bruce
1: i don't know Get, pass me some iced tea or a mint uh, julep my rocking chair here <laughs> mint julep, yeah. but you know i was surprised going through this how in some ways how little there is a filling in the gaps it does fill in the gaps but it's only maybe like the first third that really plays to that, and then the rest of the story, you really could have worked a story like that into any p- time period in Kirk's command. You could have you know jiggered it a little yeah. bit to fit in there. and then till the end, we get a little something that adds to filling in the gap. but it really doesn't fill in the it's it actually plays out as a Star Trek novel. It's just set up to take place mm-hmm. at the end of the five-year yeah. mission.
0: I think you have a really good point there. You know, I think there are some parts to the novel to which try to answer some of the questions, right? You know, uh, you're try to an- you trying to basically answer questions about our three main characters. Um, you know, how does Kirk end up an admiral? How does Spock end up on the path to colonar? And how the heck does McCoy end up wearing, you know, really tight pants and a V-neck shirt that goes down to his navel with a massive chain hanging around his neck and a massive beard, you know? So um, those are the questions we have to answer because that's the next time that we would see the characters in the motion picture. And I think the novel does answer some of the questions a little bit, But it also takes a very strange road to doing it. Like, I I would say this novel was completely unexpected in some of the choices that it makes. Um, And I felt like maybe the best way to kind of break those down was just to talk about our three main characters. And then I think we do have uh, a a final section to talk about because it, it kind of sums up the insanity that i thought this book was but so with kirk um the big question is is okay so how do we get kirk to be an admiral how do we get kirk to be the at the position where he would actually accept being an admiral in the first place and i will say this is probably the best answer in the book Uh, As to that kind of question of how do you get the character from one place to the next? Because if there was any way that you were going to tempt Kirk off the bridge of a ship, I think they found Starfleet Command finds the exact right way to do that here in this book.
1: Yeah, I agree. But I have a little issue with it. I I like how it. Yeah, I like how it builds towards it. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that he's saying, "Hey, look they they may want to kick me upstairs. They may want to give me a desk job. They may want to give me a promotion. I don't want that." And we find out that he's already put in to be captain of another ship, at least temporarily, until the Enterprise is right. done with its refit. Yeah, I think he the wants the victorious.
0: Back.
1: Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, and so and and then he's stating to his friends that you know. If they offer me a promotion and put me behind a desk, I'm going to resign. I'm I'm prepared right. to make the threat because he starts finding out that Starfleet needs them. You know, things haven't been perfect with Starfleet and and they have to Kirk's their shining star. So they, they need the shining star. And they don't need him leaving Starfleet and they need to make him happy. But then they have ideas of what they want him to do for them. And it's not being a captain of a starship. But then it takes someone else. And I don't remember how do you pronounce her name, Siana C- or what? It, I can't remember. Yeah, I think I can't remember her name Ciana. exactly. Siana. So she's the she eventually spoilers or whatever. She eventually in the motion picture novelization, he's married to her. He eventually marries her.
0: Interesting. So okay, that makes sense. Uh, I, I've never read so, the motion yeah. picture novelization, so uh, that makes a lot of sense.
1: And she's one of the characters that's killed in the transporter accident on the Enterprise. Oh, my. Okay. Wow. That's they don't play that well in the movie at all. And she's supposed <laughs> no, to be his wife. That's all cut out of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's not in the movie, but yeah. in the novelization, but regardless, she's this vice admiral and she wants to employ him into this new mission of her going to on these diplomatic missions to planets. And he wouldn't be behind a desk and he would be there to help her and guide her and show her how it's done. And basically all the things he kind of did as a starship captain, but without being a captain, but being mm. an admiral and having more flexibility to do all these things. And it seemed too quick for him to say, okay, that's the problem I had because he was ready to leave Starfleet. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I wasn't sold on the job. Mm. I thought, oh, okay, he's going to be the second banana to this vice admiral on mm-hmm. diplomatic missions. I think he wants a little more adventure than being a diplomat. And he was just like, okay, I'll do it. Sounds good. Yeah.
0: I So I can understand that. And I, I do think, and and that's, kind of where it's like I felt like it's the best answer in the book. I, I Yeah, I agree. I don't yeah. think it's the best answer necessarily for Kirk um, in the sense of really, truly making him make the move. Uh, and I, I think it's an interesting idea to, to basically, what you're offering Kirk is the opportunity to go, you know, gallivanting around the galaxy, saving all the hot spots. You know, um, you're kind of playing into his ego, uh, that oh, it's only Jim Kirk that can do this, you know, kind of thing, which I think is helpful. You know, Kirk definitely has, I think, somewhat of an ego, but I, I, the the thing that they're not doing is that they, that you still can't really replicate the fact of the unknown, right? The whole point of Kirk and being on a starship is that. The joy of experiencing the unknown boldly going where no one has gone before, right? And, exactly. and so that's still something that they can't quite do. And and I think where the answer is almost good enough is the fact that I, I don't think Kirk truly means that he wants to resign from Starfleet. And I think they basically call his bluff and they give him something good enough And the other reason I would say that is because they also promise him, Nagura promises him, look, if you do this for us, then I will do whatever I have to do to basically get you back the Enterprise. Which does help in the sense that when we talk about the fact that, you know, he did some arm twisting, you know, to get the Enterprise back in the motion picture, it makes sense that he basically would have gone to Nagura and been like, yeah, I'm calling in my favor. You know, and so that's where I felt like when it came to filling in the gaps for Kirk, that was the place where it it made sense.
1: And I think I, I I think I agree. I I like the fact that the Enterprise is that carrot that they put out to him. You're right. I think it would have played a little better for me if she offered him the position. Mm-hmm. He is attracted to it. He likes it. But he'd still rather be on the starship, but he's really thinking hard about doing it. And then Nagora comes and says, if you do this, I'll give you the Enterprise. And then he goes, sold. But it, it felt like it was more like he was sold immediately mm-hmm. when he heard the position. Yeah. And I yep. just think he would have held back a little more on that.
0: Yeah. No, I uh, I think you're right. And, and, and that leads me to something that I felt like was a, a little bit of a detriment to the novel, which is that he and Siana fall in love. I was just like, really, like, Kirk. Kirk can't not fall in love with somebody. Like, I, I feel like it's such a bad trope. Um, and and part of this is, I, like, yeah, maybe it's because it's an early novel, and and they feel like you have to have Kirk fall in love with somebody. Uh, but I, I just felt like it was a little bit too much for me, and it, it was honestly, it's kind of inappropriate for them to be together anyway in the chain of command. Um, and so not that Kirk really seems to care about that kind of stuff sometimes. But, um, yeah, I don't... I, to me, that part just did not work. Um, it, it's not written well enough for me to buy it. And so I was I was kind of displeased that that happened. And you filling in the gaps for me, since I've never read the novelization, okay, that makes sense then. they They basically are playing with what the novelization of the motion picture and where they're trying to go. That makes sense then. Um, I just feel like the storyline should
1: have been much better written then if we're going to have to do that. I, I can definitely see that point. I don't disagree with you. I was waiting for them to get together. I was actually waiting for that to happen even a little sooner. I was also expecting that maybe he took this position because his attraction to her. But that didn't play for a while. And then it just happened. You know, they hooked up. <laughs> and, but it sat easier with me because knowing that they were probably fixed, trying to fit this in into the novelization, I'm expecting that they have to get together at mm-hmm. some point, right. whether it's in this novel or a future novel. And mm-hmm. like I said, I don't really remember this novel that well from when I first read it. So it was easier for me to accept it because I knew it was going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and that's where I, to me, I do think it just should have been pushed to a, further novel, you know, let this novel, let them create a relationship together, maybe hint at that they find each other attractive. And I do mean hint, not not so obviously as they do in the book. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that would have been much... That would have just sat better with me as a reader uh, to know that, okay, that's the possibility of where we're going, but I don't know if that's for sure. And just... It, it, it again, it just kind of felt like one of those things where Oh, you know, Kirk has to fall in love in a in, in, in a Star Trek story. You know, Kirk has to have a lady and it it just didn't feel as earned for me, um, with the way that they tell the story. Like you said, it's just kind of like they finally admit they're attracted to each other and he kisses her and it's just like it's so melodramatic. It it just it it was not it just wasn't well written for me.
1: But I also didn't take it as that they were in love with each other or really are in much of a relationship. It just felt like they're just fooling around together.
0: I yeah, you know. It could be that too. Um, you know, two consenting adults doing the thing that two consenting adults do, you know, uh beneath the starfleet sheets. So, um <laughs> So, what, let's transition to Spock. Because I do think Specifically, Spock is the character who works the least for me. Spock seems to go through some very strange emotional leaps in logic that I don't understand in this. One, he gets mad at Jim. Two, he decides to get engaged. And then by the end, he decides that no, he's going to leave everything he knows for Kolinar, And... None of it seems to connect really emotionally to me or it seems to connect with the Spock that I know from the series.
1: I was disappointed with the colonar because it just didn't I I kept expecting that to really play out and at the very end of the book he's going to do colonar because because I didn't really understand why just he just decided well he just went on this thing that happened And he had some somewhat emotional moments, you know, that, and he felt like he needs to suppress all his emotions. Like in the earlier in the book, he's, I I don't remember what they call it, but this colonari or whatever, (laughs) I don't remember what the word is, but it's like the colonoscopy, the Vulcan colonoscopy. (laughs) (laughs) He he has to fast for a day (laughs) before the colonoscopy. Hey, this is old man talk, people. I'm telling you. Seriously, it's important. It's important. (laughs) It's important. By the way, I have mine in two months. So then, you know, he's around this area where the monks and stuff. So I thought there must be some influence. He must be searching for something. But I really wasn't gathering that. I really wasn't sure why he was there. They didn't really explain that. And then at the end of the book, he decides he's going to do colon and he's not going to get married. And to your point, it's like, why is he going to get married to begin with? Uh, like, he didn't get married to Dupring, so why right. now? He still hasn't found what he's looking for. I- well, that's the point, right? I feel like that's, I, I don't think it really came across well, but I feel like that's what they were trying to say is he's just trying to figure out his place.
0: Well, and and, and that's the thing. Like, so at the beginning, you know, Kirk decides that basically uh, he's fighting for the victorious, and Spock is upset that he hadn't uh, asked for him to be his first officer. And, um, you know, because Kirk has actually put him up for promotion for his own ship, basically, to be a captain, because he believes that, you know, and it just... It felt so illogical for Spock to be upset about that uh, because Spock doesn't feel like a character that would have gotten upset about that from the series, you know, because he would have seen it as the next logical progression. He would have seen Kirk's thought process to be the most logical next progression. Um, and, And it just seemed very strange. Like we were taking this character and making him overly emotional and... You know, then, I mean, honestly, the whole marriage thing seems to come out of nowhere. Um, And so, oh, all of a sudden Spock's engaged? That's weird. And it, it really doesn't come from anything in the story other than it seems like a plot contrivance to, like, that Spock is going to stay on Vulcan and be, a you know, a teach at the Vulcan Academy of Science. Okay? And then, yeah... By the end, he chooses Kolinar, and it just, there doesn't, it doesn't seem to be well plotted as to the character, and and like, you know, I feel like if you were writing this story down, you know, you would have had to start with the thought process, okay, Spock decides to purge all emotion, and... Apparently, that also means leaving everybody he knows behind, which I don't ever think we got that from anything else, but that's part of what the author creates for Colinar. And so, what would make him choose that? And none of the things in this book make sense in the first place, but two, none of them make sense as to why they would make him choose to do Colinar either. So, as per the filling in the gaps for Spock, I think this is an utter failure.
1: So going back to the whole th- emotion uh, with Kirk, I didn't take it so much as emotion, I, but I, I I can see a little bit in there. So I definitely see what you're saying, but it made sense to me that Kirk says, "Oh, I, I you know I put in for you Spock to be promoted to captain, and you have your own starship and." I kind of felt for Spock because it's like, well, who are you to decide what I should do next? That's not your place, Kirk. So it made sense to me because Spock is saying, Look, it's one thing to be first officer under you, but I was also the science officer. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do is science. I don't want to be in command. Right. I want to do research. And Kirk's like, Well, yeah, but I'm putting you on a we're gonna put you on a science research vessel. He's like, yeah, but I would right. be the one commanding the vessel and not right. doing the science. So that makes yep. sense to me. Well, And I could see where he's just a little yep. put off by Kirk on that. Well, and, and I think you're absolutely right in the sense that then
0: that's where the characterization of Jim Kirk doesn't play at all. Because Jim would totally pay attention to what Spock wants. That would absolutely be his reaction. Oh, gosh, Spock, I had no idea that that's what you want from life. I apologize for being such a jerk and like of course I'd love to have you as my first officer on the victorious if that's what you want. Like Jim Kirk was never about putting telling other people what they should do with their own lives unless you know they're on some planet where they don't know any better, <laughs> right? Like yeah. I, but but I, to tell Spock what like you're absolutely right. I think that's where the failure between the way the characters act in the first place isn't always. Uh, it, it feels incongruous with what we know again from the characters from the series.
1: Okay. So I'll give you that. So, cause I remember when I was reading this, when they, the three, the main three went their separate ways. I felt like it was too easy. Mm-hmm. They were too accommodating to be like, good seeing you. Maybe I'll see you again someday. Bye bye. And I thought, is that really what we gather from these characters after five years together? Are they not closer than Going that? Going through... Or maybe that comes later in their life lives. Life and but, death
0: together? Like, they've literally yeah. been through every situation you could possibly be in, and then some.
1: <laughs> yeah, and to your point, I can see maybe Kirk saying, Spock, just so you know, I've you know put in for uh, Captain of the Victorious, and I would love for you to join me as my first officer. But... I don't want to hold you back from your career. There's other opportunities out there. You can be captain of the science vessel, which I think you would be excellent for. And Spock saying, well, you know, Jim, I would prefer to stay as a science officer. So I would like to join you in the victorious. And then Kirk being like, that's what I want too, but I'm not going to say it, but I'm glad he's took. Cause I don't want to take command without Spock there. Cause if you think to the motion picture He wants a Vulcan science officer. And you know what he's really saying is, I really wish Spock were here. And I'm trying to find a replacement for him. So I don't see him pawning Spock off so easily. Go somewhere. No, go, go. It's been nice working with you, but you need to move on. Take captain of command of that ship. Go. We'll see you. So I get that because I remember that running through my head as I was reading it. Like, this just seems too easy that they're willing to separate. And they're separated for like six months, I think, before they talked again. And when they meet up again, it's like, oh, hi, how are you? What have you been up to? <laughs> you know, and you just expect them to be closer than that.
0: No, I I could not agree with, more with you. I think you nailed it on the head that there is this lack of connection between the characters. And 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 what's weird is that they're trying to create that connection, that deep rooted connection between Spock and Kirk and McCoy in the sense that Spock would be almost offended that Kirk wouldn't want him with him, right? But then, right, you said it just doesn't make sense that Kirk wouldn't uh, want Spock there. And I think the way you said it is exactly how it would have gone down. Like, because that feels so much more uh, connected to the characters that we saw on screen in that five-year mission, you know, on TOS. Like... That makes so much more sense as the way in which uh, the the interaction should have gone down. And and I think it would have been interesting again, you could have had it be a misunderstanding where, again maybe even, you know, Kirk puts him up for the promotion. He's like, Kirk, uh, Spock, I'm putting you up for the promotion because I, I feel like you deserve it. You've earned it and I don't want to hold you back. And then he would have been like, well, Captain, you know, and so that just feels so much more legitimate. And, and it almost felt like they were... The, the way that the author was trying to manufacture the emotion between the characters was just off, you know? Like, there is serious emotion between especially these three characters with everything they've been through. But it was like adding strange emotions that didn't actually fit with what should be their emotional state.
1: I would get it if the author took the approach of they've been together for five years, but they haven't been apart. And this is the first time that they're going to be apart. And they don't realize how much they mean to each other until after they're apart for a period of time. And now if the book went into that direction where... Kirk just readily, you know, waves Spock goodbye. It's been great serving with you. Short little tear here and there, but moving on. But then they come to realize that they need each other by the end of the book. That would work for me. Mm -hmm. But that's not really how this plays out. And as we're talking through this, and by the way, I still like the book, but I know we're kind of nitpicking at things here. But what the thing that I think this book should have done now that we're going through this is to call it the lost years and just focus on these mm-hmm. characters and what they're yep. going through emotionally or not emotionally in Spock, but maybe emotionally that makes him want to go through Colin let's play that whole thing out instead of sending up the chess pieces to where they are at this time in their life. And then playing a star Trek mm-hmm. advan- adventure for right. the rest of the book.
0: Yeah. And in some ways, I do think that is a detriment to the book. Uh, before we hit McCoy, I'll just say, you know, as we're talking about Spock, one of the things that this book does is it has some weird focuses in places, like the fact that we focus at all on Riley, like, I don't care. Stop focusing on him. Um <laughs> Who cares? I liked Riley. Uh, but, but but my point was is that the, 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 the page time that we give him or Uhura or some of the other characters was misused in the sense that this book should have been about these this big three, right? And it should have only been about them and their experience of like, you know, getting called their separate ways and then finding out, like you said, coming back. I think it's much stronger because... This book it it kind of loses its focus in some ways. And part of that I think is I, I think it's just a detriment for McCoy because he just doesn't get very much to do. Like and and why he's on this like speaking tour with this character named Llewellyn in the first place, I never truly felt like I got in the series or here in the book. And uh yeah, I was really disappointed that he just seems to kind of be a character that I almost feel like the author doesn't really know what to do with him as a character.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Um, Yeah, I, yeah in a lot of ways, there isn't that much development for McCoy. It seems like we have to find a reason to get him to Vulcan so he can criticize Spock. You know, yeah. like to have the Spock McCoy <laughs> dynamic going on and be the everyday man of like, what's this and what's going on and why is this happening? But I will say what I really enjoyed about the relationship of Spock and McCoy in this is they reveal to each other how much each other means mm-hmm. to the right. one another. You know, that McCoy actually realizes that he's missing Spock the most after leaving the Enterprise. And that Spock means more to him than he let on and vice versa. And I started to wonder if Spock likes McCoy better than Kirk at this point too, the way it was written. um, But it, it was good uh, scenes between the two of them. But yeah, I don't feel like there was a whole lot of development for McCoy in this. Yeah.
0: And, and I think you're right in the sense that the the, the Spock, McCoy relationship plays off really well. But the thing that I was disappointed in is that I felt like, you know, from the motion picture, McCoy felt as a character, somebody who was very happy with his life as a civilian. Uh, Being a doctor, not out, doing crazy stuff, you know. Obviously, he was loving the fashion. uh, So... that was something to where I almost felt like, you know, McCoy was the character who really kind of accepted almost retirement from Starfleet much more comfortably, you know? Like, that he enjoyed his life on Earth. And so, that felt like it would have been a kind of an interesting thing, because that was... It's the dichotomy between the other two characters, which is, you know, Kirk... Wants to be on the Starship still, but he's, you know, he's so he has the struggle of what I'm going to do, how am I going to stay in Starfleet and still get to do what I want. Spock is the struggle to figure out who he is, you know, as a character. And just to me, McCoy always felt like he was so comfortable in his own skin, he knew exactly what he wanted. He was ready to be on the planet Earth and be a doctor and not be going anywhere, you know? Like, he was going to enjoy reading on his front porch, uh, seeing patients during the day, and having a glass of whiskey at night, you know? Like, to me, that seems much more... I know that's not exciting, but it does seem much more realistic than him kind of having this... And then the relationship with Dr. Llewellyn, it doesn't really work, because there's not enough depth to anything that really happens character-wise and character motivation-wise. And so we try to play with this fact that he's with this woman who is kind of a friend and a partner, you know. um, Is it going to turn into like a love interest or anything? We never really get to spend enough time with with that storyline for me to to really care about the storyline for him and her and if it's going to go anywhere. So I, I think... The biggest issue I'm having with all of these is there's just not, I didn't, I don't feel like there's just as much thought put into what we're going to put on the page and and we just start putting things on the page and and none of it's really gelling for me.
1: I think that gets back to what I was saying before. This felt as if the writers trying to create a Star Trek adventure, but also address the the transition from Mm -hmm. leaving the five-year mission and moving on to their lives and trying to do both and setting up the situation. So then we can move on with the star Trek adventure, because to your point about McCoy seems very happy to be retired Mm -hmm. and drinking his mint juleps and just hanging out in Georgia or whatever he's doing with his shirt open, or maybe he's at the discotheque, but he's (laughs) there's, there's a hint of that though at the end of the book, because when Spock's talking about doing colon and explains what that is, McCoy says something along the lines that that sounds good to me. I like the idea of being alone somewhere in the woods. Nobody can find me. So I feel like it's leading in that direction, but I don't really understand why he said that because there's nothing that's leading me to believe in this book that through this adventure and, you know, his kidnapping, in a sense, and all the stuff he went through, that he was like, "I'm tired of this. I'm tired mm-hmm. of getting in these situations. you know I'm tired of risking my life. and maybe throw in something about his daughter, that you know now he had to ch- maybe you step in the, early in the book that he has a chance to spend more time with his daughter, and now he's out on these adventures again, yep. risking his life, doesn't know if she, he'll see her again, and, is, and says at the end of the book, "I'm done with this. I don't need to do this anymore." I can spend more time with my daughter. I want to spend more time just by myself and do other things. And then that's why we see the McCoy. We see later in the motion Mm -hmm. picture who doesn't want to come back to Starfleet until he's drafted, you know? And it's like, again, if you just spent the time with the characters, so it's like almost make this, is this book about the lost years about the characters or is this book just a Star Trek adventure that happens at the, after the end of the five year mission. And we got Mm -hmm. the book that is, the the adventure after a five-year mission
0: yeah and in many ways i think what it is is that it can't decide what it wants to be you're absolutely right and what it needed to be was a character study and so and and instead i'll be honest we get some crazy vulcans uh and i did not really appreciate this story at all um I I did not enjoy this, you know, uh, crazy Vulcan Katra that gets released, and they're trying to give it to the uh, the the Romulans, and the absolute insanity of the mind powers that they have were ridiculous to me. Like, you know, we we know that that Vulcans are, are very strong. In their mental abilities. But to be able to like melt somebody with your mind. I, this went way beyond. Like the problem with this part of the story. Is that they made it so over the top. That it was unbelievable even for Star Trek. Like you know if you had told me that you had a Betazoid that was this powerful. I might believe you right. Because we already know that they're extremely powerful telepaths. But to say that Vulcans have this ability um, and and yeah, or, you know, we're melting people's faces off like it's the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, I don't. I this this just got into Ludacrisville
1: for me. It didn't so much for me because in a lot of ways, a lot of things that we learn about Vulcans in a lot of ways are kind of silly. You know, some are believable, some maybe not so much. I mean, I don't even know how I feel about the whole Katra thing, you know, but we're so used to it, you know, and we've got this idea of our heads, what Vulcans can do. And so we accept that when we get to this. Yeah, it goes a little too far then with the whole like he can melt the face off somebody. he can melt a person, a Gorn. He can melt a phaser out of someone's hand, whatever it is. My question wasn't so it, it didn't bother me that much. My question was more like, how is this Vulcan from? centuries ago is how is this Vulcan able to do this? And none hasn't since what, why does this Vulcan have such special powers and why hasn't anybody been able to replicate that? And so as we're talking through this book, it starts, I'm starting to realize more and more, there's so many missing pieces we've got the story Mm -hmm. but we don't have every piece that we need for us to feel comfortable with the decisions that were made by the author Mm -hmm. yeah and i need those missing pieces i need to know why he has this capability why no one else has been able to do it why why is this happening (laughs) you know
0: yeah i mean i i I, why are there no more evil vulcan mind lords is a great question and i think Part of the answer, I think, for if I remember correctly from the book, it is the fact that Surok's teachings are something that helped uh, kind of temper Vulcan's mind abilities, which makes sense. Um, but I but not
1: s- Romulans, but not Romulans exactly. So and Romulans were around at mm-hmm. this time. This is when yep. they left Vulcan,
0: and so I I think. Absolutely, it just, uh, again, he's gone a bridge too far. Like, it, you know, the mental abilities of Vulcans being more potent is obviously something we already understand, right? Uh, and, but I, to go to the point where they can basically control things with their minds, um, almost, because it really became a force power. Almost
1: right, like yes, it does. Yeah, and
0: and I think um that was just too much, uh, and so I, it just uh it just didn't work for me. And I think you hit that on the head really well. Is that what you were saying about the fact that there's too many missing pieces? And on top of the fact that this book can't decide if it wants to be an adventure story or a character study, you put all three of those things together and you come up with the unholy trinity of just a book that doesn't work the way it's meant to,
1: I think. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, it's just like that whole trope that we always hear, even, even with the Star Trek movies. Every Star Trek movie has to have a villain. Well, mm-hmm. yes, except one, and that's the one with the whales. The one that we call the one with the whales. And then and then
0: it's humanity that's the villain. So,
1: right. Right. So you always have to have the villain and in, and instead of just saying, you know what, fans would be really interested to learn what the characters go through after they leave each other and after they leave the Enterprise and let's make this more of a character story and let's stay on these characters. I mean, a good example is in the 40th anniversary, it was the crucible trilogy that David R. George third mm-hmm. wrote. I mean, I thought, I mean, yes, there's some adventure stuff in there, but it's focused so much on the characters. There's not a, like the first book with McCoy. There's not a whole lot of action that goes on. It's just him living out two lives. And I love that book for that reason. Because it's all about McCoy and his life. And it's like, this is a critical point in his life in this book. And we could have really played that out. This book almost would be served better if it wasn't called The Lost Years and was just given some random title. and It's just another Star Trek book on the shelf. And you open it up and you go, oh, this is taking place right when the five-year mission ended, <laughs> you know, Yeah. where you're not expecting to mm-hmm. learn more about
0: them. Yeah, I think that's a really – that's a great point, um, which – I guess, you know, I'm really interested then where you're going to land
1: ratings wise here with the lost years. It's kind of tough because, you know, so this, this is what happens, Matt, you and I talk and sometimes I start to like a novel more. And sometimes I like a novel less after really talking through it with you. In this case, you know, I'm starting to like it a little less than I did before, but it does hold a special place in my heart. But I did, I did enjoy the book. I mean, I know it kind of got a little crazy with the Vulcans, but I I kind of find that to be fun. And I liked seeing Spock and McCoy, their relationship together. And you know, the pieces being set up as to what happened at the end of the five-year mission, where these characters going on, I would have liked to have been a little deeper on that. i As I mentioned, there's some missing pieces in here. But I would say that I would give this, you know, uh, three-fifths of a melted Gorn out of a fully melted Gorn.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's hilarious. Um, I love that rating. Uh, I would say, I I I do kind of hate to say this, Um, this might be one of the worst Star Trek books I've ever read. Um, wow, it it's just not very good, and I, I think um, that you nailed it. And the the reason um, is that the book doesn't know what it wants to be, and it has too many unanswered uh, questions, uh, too many missing pieces to get us to where the book the the, the this is it the book makes too many leaps of logic. And it doesn't it doesn't help you in any way to really make those leaps of logic. So, you know, this is two out of five Kirk embraces, um, you know, because we all want one of those. Uh, But, yeah, it just it was it was disappointing to me in too many ways uh, to to be able to really, I, I say, recommend it with all the Star Trek books out there. I think this is this is not the one um that I would I would recommend for for people to to pick up. And I think disappointing for me because I was really interested in how it was going to answer these questions. And then it didn't answer any of the questions. Well, and so I I think that's what leads to to my disappointment. So,
1: yeah, I would say though when I'm thinking back to when I read this and again, this is the second Star Trek novel I'd ever read, I remember after this reading other Star Trek novels that had come out in the 70s and 80s, and a lot of them I didn't think were very good. So, in the back of my mind, I remember The Lost Years at that time as being a pretty good Star Trek novel compared to others I had read. But now, this far, much further in the future, having read, you know, three decades worth of Star Trek novels and this doesn't hold up as well as it did then to me.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, that's, that is one really interesting thing, you know, and it it's one of the things that makes us so fascinating about going back and reading these older books, you know, do they hold up? Right. You know? Um, and so and part of that can be like the, the, the nostalgia you have for it, the, the, the lack of nostalgia for me, but I think it's interesting that we're not too far apart with just kind of how we feel about the novel and, and whether or not it holds up. And sometimes that's the case and, and uh, sometimes it still does. So um, maybe uh, the next book in the series here of the, the Lost Years will hold up better.
1: And, you know, I will say another thing. I felt like the pace of it felt more cinematic, like a movie. That's for some reason it felt more like a movie era novel than a original series novel of the TV show.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Well, Bruce, it is always really fun to get together and you know talk about Star Trek books and comics. And even though you know this didn't really land, uh, I think for for both of us in in too many ways, um, it was really fun. I'm glad I finally got a chance to read it and uh, add that to the the list of Star Trek books that I've read. And I'm excited because. We're going to, you know, as we come back next, we're going to be diving back into the Typhon Pack series uh with a I would say an, another interesting book, Rough Beasts of Empire. So,
1: yes. Are we do we do we think we'll read the other last Years novels?
0: No, Bruce, I definitely I think we'll continue uh, the Lost series novels and I, because I'm interested to see where this goes. And just because you know the first one didn't quite work out, that doesn't mean that the rest of them couldn't be great. So I'm excited to, to be able to do that. But if anybody wants to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, where can they find you?
1: Well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. You can also find me on Instagram at Admiral Rex. I'm occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast And I'm on every episode of the Positively Trek podcast with Dan Gunther. And so weird because we're doing some reviews of the Lost Era novels. And here on Literary Treks, we're doing the Lost Years novel. I'm getting lost in what novels I'm reading right now. so That's what I'm up to.
0: Nice. And of course, uh, you know, you can find me here on the network also doing the 602 club, which is our general geek show talking about all the phantoms We love as well as Snyder cuts there with John Mills talking about everything that Zack Snyder's directed. Uh, You can also find me over on the orb with Chris Jones talking about star Trek, deep space nine, On the Nerd Party Network, wrapping up Post with Drea Kaufman as we had walked through every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time, and doing grass negotiations with John Mills over there talking about Star Wars. Well, Bruce, uh, I think I'm going to go get a whiskey
1: with McCoy. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good right now. I might join you, but until next time, live long
0: and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Thank you.